0: That's who. Alex Golden setting the pace in the five o'clock hour. You and me, you and me, and coming up also on the four o'clock hour at 239 1070 on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline for the morning show. Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. Kevin Bowen joins us. So you have, uh, you have a promo that's running with me, and it was awesome to be on with you guys on Monday morning. That's kind of a self, uh, how should I put this, Pleasurization type of promo you got me working in right there. Oh,
2: gosh, I haven't, I, I haven't yeah. heard it yet. What's the uh, – I was
0: uh, in the, the truck rubbing matter. rubbing, rubbing stuff Ooh. on myself.
2: Boy, that's where Mark Dyson decided to go. Uh, well, knowing Mark, I probably shouldn't be shocked that that's of the 20 minutes we had you on. Oh, all, I, I don't mind, man.
0: Minutes, I, I, I don't mind. Everybody has to rub something on their body occasionally. Yeah, particularly yeah,
2: particular on a Monday morning at 8 a.m., you know, if you have uh, yeah. to rub – a rough weekend. That might be the best way to start start the week.
0: So yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Again, as I said to you on Monday, uh, you know, we've been fortunate to have a lot of guests. We've been fortunate to have I don't, some rather prominent guests, but we've never had one uh, announce on air that uh, they were rubbing oils on them at about 8.02. Yes, but it was. You did a beautiful b- job painting that picture for the us. The highest
0: level of CBD. CBD oil, the highest level, I think to the point where, from what my friend Sarah tells me, that it almost is illegal, like, like it's it's from Michigan. and uh, The only thing good from Michigan would be the marijuana-related products you can bring back from Michigan, I think, right? So, is that it?
2: Now, did it help the jump shot? Because you were worried about that. no, no, no,
0: no. No, I'm in a bad spot right now. So, I reached out. I don't know if you saw this the other day on Twitter. I saw where Joey Burton, the shot. Taking, making specialist, the shot teacher here locally who does a great job in doing and has trained so many players, not just high school, collegially, but all those that are there in the NBA right now. Uh, he was, you know, talking about this time of year uh, for shooting and how you can kind of go through a little bit of a tough time, and he was coming up with like two or three different reasons why that could happen, and I said, "Hey, hey Joey, let me tell you." Um, I shot horribly yesterday morning, which would have been Sunday morning, and I blame everything on tight rims and a cold gym. It had nothing to do with form or release point or you just kind of the grind and being tired. It has everything to do with a tight rim and a cold gym. Can't have it. You just can't have it
2: joey coaching teenagers and getting a nice excuse from
0: i know talking about shot release points and you might be fading to the left or fading to the right no 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 no. that rim is too damn tight and it's too freaking cold in here that's why didn't
2: seem to uh impact the old ben davis giants saturday night and winning the marion county tournament
0: right you know what i wanted to reach out To Zane Doty, who's the rebounding champion of all time at Ben Davis, which is awesome, and shout out to him, the senior Ben Davis giant big man. But I'm thinking, can you dunk on that a little bit more and loosen these bad boys up? Can you do that? (laughs) Can we not have a little bit of that? Stop, <laughs> yeah. stop, stop the yeah. layup dunk crap and like on dunk, on okay? That, right? Dunk and hang on it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should have put in that request.
2: You know, Ben Davis, you're nationally ranked and you know, had such a great season. But can we get a couple more dunks in there in the Marion County title to help out, old John?
0: Absolutely fantastic. But no, seriously, that, uh, I mean, the older I get, it's just you know what I mean. You just kind of go, wow, we're getting near the end here. We are old oh, and crusty I mean, and decrepit and by the way with the colts in mind the lone yet to be interviewed guy in this case but the lone request to be interviewed among those that have already been interviewed and or requested to be interviewed dan quinn's my favorite he's my favorite
2: okay yeah i was curious where uh where you were going down the favorite list in some order actually it's probably the order that that I'll give you I'd go D'Amico Ryans Um, I'm pretty intrigued by Mike Kafka from the Giants Uh, and then I'd probably go Raheem Morris or Dan Quinn to kind of round out a top three top four so Ryans is a guy that I think is well I know I mean he's very highly sought after and seems like every team is interested in him now and I mean if you look at Dan Quinn the resume probably checks the box the most of, like, okay, head coach experience that had a decent run. Um, you know, obviously, look at what he did to the defensive side of the ball in Seattle. You have the yeah, Dodge connection there, which is Chris Bauer's right-hand man. You know, I'll never forget when Bauer got hired in 2017. One of the first things he mentioned in really overhauling the defense that Ryan Grigson built was what Dan Quinn had built very quickly in Atlanta. He was obsessed with Atlanta's defense. Uh, didn't last too long with the Falcons in terms of like great defensive success, but uh, I want to say at least seven wins in all six of his years there. And you know Michael Par- Parson speaks really really highly of him, so yeah, I, I can see why you'd have some interest in. Old that and way. crusty.
0: I'm thinking old. Oh, this team needs this team needs a resume. My opinion, I've been there and done that resume. And, and again, you're you're talking to a guy that solely thought the answer was Jim Harbaugh we'll get to that coming up in a minute but you need a guy with a resume have been there and done that accomplished something resume and I don't care what happened in the second half of the Super Bowl I, if the Colts were to make the Super Bowl and we were been told that that was going to happen in the second half and so be it all right compared to the product we've seen in the past year I'd be glad to have uh, witnessed that so the been there done that mentality of Dan Quinn and what I, I guess would be a level of crustiness for that locker room that I guess would be necessary compared to the Frank Reich soft touch that clearly, according to some coming out of that place, got a little bit out of hand in something that Jeff Saturday was trying to deal with. I, I just think you need that. You To me, and, and you may miss out, uh, you know, Kafka may end up being a great coach. D'Amico Ryans may end up being a great coach. I just consider this... What this team needs right now is somebody like Quinn. So I get down with that, much like I got down with Jim Harbaugh. I'm just not so much in the flavor of the day, O. C. or D C, young, inexperienced. I'd pass on it.
2: Yeah, I mean you could probably spin things in whatever direction you want to. I'm and I just did did I can... do it
0: very well because I just did that. I did it exactly the way you described
2: it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tune in from seven to 10 tomorrow and you'll certainly hear me do that Um, or, or, or right now, I guess, you know, when you look at the final eight teams, I think three of them are retread and Doug Peterson and Andy Reed. Uh, Who's the other one? Mike McCarthy would be the other one there. Uh, You know, varying degrees of success. All three of them, you know, got to a Super Bowl. I think when you look at that, um, that obviously plays into Dan Quinn's background as well. You know, I felt like a little bit of kind of just a misconception is so many people like you You need someone with experience. It's like, how many of those candidates are out there? You know, I, I find it a bit like, I don't know if odd is the right word, but you know, from a resume standpoint, if you're you were know, comparing, Dan Quinn has that Super Bowl, So that, that looks a little different, but like, I mean, you could look at a Bill O'Brien resume and say, Oh wow. Four playoffs in six years. That's, that's decent. Uh, you could look at a Mike Zimmer resume with the Vikings uh, they'd be like, oh, wow, you know, they made a lot of playoff appearances. You know, that, that's decent. So, again, the, you are going to be able to, I think, talk yourself out of and, you know, talk yourself into so many different candidates. You know, for me, with Ryan's, um, I think in a way we don't give the position that Ryan's played in the NFL enough credit when talking about coaching ability. You know, we, we talk so much about quarterback and, you know,
3: the intellect
2: and the football mind that's needed and you're communicating with everybody on offense. Uh, But I would argue the middle linebacker on defense, you know, has the same exact sort of responsibility. And that was D'Amico Ryans with the Texans and with the Eagles, you know, his past coaches have have been glowing about basically saying we would have a game plan each week for D'Amico Ryans if he was healthy and a game plan for his backup, because we could put so much more on Ryan's plate Uh, because he can handle all that, very cerebral. He's talked about how much he would enjoy as a player knowing everybody's responsibility on that defense and really kind of eating up, if you will, the whole chess match aspect to it. Now, of course, the biggest knock on a Dan Quinn or D'Amico Ryans or Raheem Morris is your offensive system and what do you do on that side of the ball and where's the continuity. And, you know, you could argue Dan Quinn, that was his downfall in Atlanta when Kyle Shanahan left and just the inability to sustain things there with the Falcons, so I think that will be the biggest question mark you have with any defensive hire. And again, that goes for you know the guy that you like or the guy that I like with with
0: Ryan's. I just don't want to to see them hire like a Nathaniel Hackett type here. You know what I mean? Listen, and there's probably going to be two of these dudes, Kev. These young, inexperienced, not been a head coach prior, that will turn into something special. And man, people are going to make me own that further down the road. Somebody will probably end up being like Kyle Shanahan, and I will really have to eat it. I just happen to think with a guy like Quinn, I, I even mentioned Wink Martindale. He doesn't have the resume. He's just been a defensive coordinator. I just I, they need crusty though. Yeah, they well they need a layer of crustiness here. I think. I think they need a layer of crustiness that a lot of these guys just don't bring or at least don't offer personality-wise on the outside that we can see. And listen, you bring you know somebody like Dan Quinn in and you pair him up with a young, egg-headed type of offensive coordinator that's got all the analytics down, then so be it. Looks like Mike McDaniels. They can play, and you know, OC it up and then play Dungeons & Dragons after the game. That'd be great. <laughs>
2: Well, com- that the only thing get-
0: combo that up and do it. But I just, I, I, I think, to me, this team has shown us all um, that it is necessary to have that type of personality in his locker room. So, we'll see. Yeah, the,
2: You know, if you want to go Settlers of Catan, that might be the only thing to get to Andrew Luck to answer a Jim Mercer call or at least talk to him for longer than five <laughs> minutes on that front. But, you know, w- when you look at, like, Brian Dable with the Giants, John, you know, he – opted for Kafka, the younger offensive mind. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you know, that being that coordinator's baby, he went with Wink Martindale. And, you know, we had Chuck Pagano on yesterday and, you know, he obviously has ties to the Baltimore tree and Martindale came from Baltimore. And, uh, and I said to Chuck, like that, that's a little Bruce Arians, right? And he's like, Oh yeah. I mean, that is that that's the vibe you get from Martindale. I was talking with somebody in the giants organization on uh, Monday or Tuesday, whenever it was it was announced, and he was like, love Wink Martindale. Just unbelievable energy. Um, you know, the, the, that great balance I think Arians achieved of, uh, of funny, hilarious, great sense of humor. You want to have a beer with him at a bar, but obviously knows a whole hell of a lot about football. Um, so he is kind of an interesting name there. You know, to your earlier point about the young offensive line, you know, could it be another Nathaniel Hackett and, and could it be a flame out? Again, you can look at it there, you can look at it on the flip side. And uh Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan is kind of the is the quick name that a lot of people go to, but I, I would say Zach Taylor, a little bit more of the, you know, kind of Kafka background of position coach, not a lot of coordinating experience, and then boom, here's this opportunity. What I like about him in Kafka is the fact that I mean he has been Patrick Mahomes' position coach throughout Mahomes' playing career, you know, 2018 to, to 2021. Of course, this year he's the Giants OC. And I think we just assume Mahomes was this finished product coming out of Texas Tech, and he certainly was not that. I mean, he, he needed coaching. Um, he needed fine-tuning. It, it's an offense that definitely doesn't look exactly like what he did at Texas Tech. Um, and the fact that Brian Dable didn't have a whole lot of connections with him and has entrusted him to be a play caller and run that offense stands out to me. And I don't know about you, but I, I just – I can't name their maybe two or three giant wideouts or tight ends. Like, I just think they're so void of talent at the pass-catching spots, and yet you look at what they did to the Vikings. They scored 31, and Saquon Barkley had nine carries in the game. Like, if you would have told me on Sunday morning that you know, Saquon Barkley is going to – or if you're going to tell me the Giants are going to score 31, I would assume Barkley had, you know, 180 or, or, or something huge and yet they didn't even need to, you know, pound it with him to have such a big day offensively. Obviously, Daniel Jones has made a huge jump. So, obviously, there's concern and youth, and this would be quite the jump from position coach, you know, less than two years ago to now being the head coach of a football, of an NFL team. Uh, But at the same time, you know, is that the trend? Is it the seven of the eight final coaches right now are offensive-minded, Sean McDermott being the only one? You look at last year, Six of eight offensive minded. Sean McDermott and Mike Rabel being the two last year. Is this the new trend? And if you don't go offense or you hire defense and that offensive guy leaves after two years, are you continually trying to make up for that?
0: I will tell you this, though. uh, The Colts put up 36 against the Vikings. And I'm not going to take anything away from the Giants, but we both know that the Vikings were begging for something like that in the postseason. They were just begging for it.
2: Sure. And, And. I guess it's more of, I just don't look at the Giants wide receivers and tight ends and think to myself, they should be one of the final 18 standing. Like, it, it, it's impressive to me with that offensive talent. And even Daniel Jones, I don't think you look at him and think, oh, he just needed weapons around him. I mean, they, they couldn't get anything out of him. He was a turnover machine last year. So, what they've done in one year, they're not some high powered offensive attack, but I just like the versatility that they have. Um, I think they're getting a whole lot out of. An offense that doesn't have a lot of individual talent.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of and I don't want to take anything away from what they've accomplished because obviously people around here would embrace that to the moon given the opportunity of it. But nah, I mean, we're going to have a lot of opinions that differ because there's no clear cut favorite here. Is this going to be a situation where Chris Ballard's going to dazzle us with this uh, selection? He's going to pass along to Jim Irsay for either uh, final yes or no status moving forward here? Is that what we're doing with this casting of the wide net
2: yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody's going to dazzle, you know. I, someone and this kind of goes off your your opinion on the situation. If someone tweeted me earlier, like no one is going to be all chips in, and, and here comes a thousand people wanting to buy season tickets tomorrow. Like there, there's no, I mean, I don't even think Sean Payton would qualify as that. Maybe he'd be the closest of anybody. But whether they go Dan Quinn, whether they go Jeff Saturday, whether they go Mike Kafka, Gio Vero, Bubbles Ventrone, whoever. I don't think anyone is going to win the press conference quote-unquote dazzle you billboards across 465 you know the biggest attendance we've ever seen at grand park come training camp um, i outside of jim harbaugh again i just don't know if, if there was that sort of candidate in this coaching cycle um so at the end of the day yeah you're gonna make a hire and obviously free agency will play out and we'll see what a staff looks like but you're going to have to believe in a resume that I don't think is just going to, you know, do it for everybody. Cause there's just, and, and I mean, to be frank, there's not that candidate on an annual basis. And the two that, you know, were kind of thought of that in Harbaugh and Peyton clearly Harbaugh, you know, no longer wanted to pursue the opportunities. How much of that was agent driven contract, whatever. And in Sean Peyton's case. I just don't think the Colts are in an opportunity to go after him. Um, You know, I I don't think they're in the business of giving up any sort of precious draft pick for a coach that I don't look at and say, you hire Sean Payton tomorrow and you have 10 years of unbelievable success. Got a good resume? Not going to deny that, but I don't think it's some unquestioned slam dunk. You're going to mortgage whatever draft capital that you feel is necessary to get them.
3: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up,
0: Kevin Bowen, The Morning Show, Kevin and Query. That's weekday mornings, Monday through Friday, 7 until 10 a.m. here on 93.5 and 107. Find the fan on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You had a sweet segue. Kind of went away from it a little bit. Let's get back. That segue to Harbaugh. Um, I, I would be done with his organization if they didn't have any interest or show any interest in Jim Harbaugh whatsoever. It has to be, right? From the Harbaugh side of things as to why he has shown little to zero interest in wanting to come here, correct? It has to be all on that side. There is no way that they didn't have interest. I'll be incredibly disappointed if we find out that's the case.
2: Yeah, I I mean, it was really tough for me to get a read on the Harbaugh situation um, from internally, to be honest with you. So I don't know 100%. Um, you know, again, Harbaugh is back out of the NFL altogether here in this coaching cycle. So it's not like, you know, he's hanging around with Denver, he's hanging around with Carolina, but he doesn't want anything to do with Indy or Arizona or Houston. So to me, I think, you know, maybe it was a little bit of, again, Harbaugh in his camp driving a whole lot of this. That's the vibe I felt like we got early on. I do think the other aspect to this, and I don't think it's that play, but we did Jim Ursay, or would he tell a hardball, hey, if you're going to come here and I'm interested in you, Chris Ballard is going to be here and he's still going to run the personnel? Yeah,
0: that's. that's again, I'm not. That, that, might, that might be a minor word that's floating around there. Yeah, so. which,
2: again, is quite the backing of Chris Ballard. And publicly, I mean, Ursay has certainly backed him very aggressively. You know, I asked him a question at the Frank Reich firing press conference back in early November, and, you know, three sentences into it, he's comparing Chris Fowler to Michael Jordan. Um, so, again, publicly he has been staunch financially. He's been staunch in his backing with that extension. Of course, he fired Frank Reich with a similar one. But uh, that, that is a thought that I've had of is that part of it? Because, again, hardball, and I think this is what you see with college coaches, They want, you know, control of their roster like they have it at that level. Uh, So that is a thought that I had.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, we hear a lot, or in this case, maybe not. But certainly that was one thing that, you know, with with Chris Ballard being here, you know, maybe that would not be the best situation. But honestly, it it seems like it is certainly more horrible than it is anything here. And I'm not disappointed in it, but... For them not to recognize it and just say, "All right, here's a lot of get here and fix this mess." That might be a little bit off-putting to me, but if you can't force the guy to come here, so that's the bottom line of it all.
2: Yeah, and, and I just i I get that. You know, maybe I'm looking too far down the road at it, but you know, the whole hardball wearing people out. You know, I, I think the vision here has got to be a little bit more this is not a one or two year fix where he comes in here and has just an instant impact and pushes you over the hump that you can't get over. It's a mountain that the Colts need to get over right now. And I think you do need someone that's committed to this for, you know, five to seven years. Um, And it just, if you look at Harbaugh as a resume or you just hear about how he's impacted people at those respective stops, that's the effect he has.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I think that, i think he would be in this one because where else is he going to go you jump back to the nfl you you have one thing in mind and that's getting a team wherever you're coaching to a super bowl and to get something done in which you did not get done the first time that you were here so where else would he end up where would he have his eyeballs on Besides, well, you. maybe NFL jobs that are a little bit and, more. Yeah, and, and you're ready talking about it, the like, shelf. The, the, screw the shelf life. I mean, these guys, these guys need to adapt to something because well, you know what's been on the shelf here in the past hasn't worked. So they, they, I think they, I think they need a little bit of wacky. Uh, they need a little bit of an edge here, and you know, that's – I don't know. I, I'm pro Harbaugh, so I'm probably never going to get complete law off of that because he seems sure. perfect <laughs> to me. So
2: and again, let, let, let me I guess make it a little bit clear of like how the Colts compare to other NFL openings currently, or maybe not other NFL openings, but let's say if the Chargers would have fired Brandon Daly, does Harbaugh look at that and say, oh my gosh, I can go there. And in two to three years, boom, that's a Super Bowl. And do the Chargers look at that vice versa? Whereas do the Colts look at it and say, man, we got to be a little bit more patient with things. And again, I don't think Chris Bauer has earned the right to have that sort of authority with Jim Mercey. But, as I've mentioned all along, with the whole Ballard-Reich, do you fire both in the same cycle? I think there's a lot of ego at play with the owner wanting to retain Chris
1: Ballard.
0: Hey, Kev, this is all dependent upon who they value the highest, and I'm assuming that still a large portion of this process is ongoing. But let's just say they do value what we believe is the highest value of collegiate quarterbacks right now between Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. Do you think that they could put – would they be willing to put enough together? And do they have to get up and get that Chicago pick? Because if they do value one of those two guys or at least one of the two highest, then you're going to have to do that in some form or fashion, aren't you? And you're going to have to battle and fight off those that also want to get up there.
2: Yes. Yep, 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 yeah. If you have one of the two value higher, you have to get to number one. I mean, Houston's sitting there at two. Uh, they've got 12 picks, I believe, in this draft. I think it, they have the. I think they have two, and then they have 12, don't they? I, I know they have an additional first rounder. So um, you cannot compete with that at all if you get into some sort of bidding war. So I don't know. Can you entice Chicago with a player? Probably unlikely. Do you have to go into future picks and mortgage a little bit of that? But if you believe Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, and again throw Will Levis's name in there just to do it. If you believe any of those three quarterbacks are vastly superior than the other two, you've got to get to one. Uh, Cause I think quarterbacks are going one, two. I mean, I, I know right, right now it's Chicago Houston in that order. And obviously Chicago is not going to take a quarterback, but I think when we look back on the 2023 NFL draft, it's going to be quarterback one, two. So it, it, you have got to get up there and obviously Houston will draft one that's the thought process. Draft one of those two quarterbacks. And you've got to make sure that you are the other team. I, I would say it's good news. I think that Arizona, seemingly, like Kyler Murray's involved in this coaching search. I know, I know they have brought in a new GM, so we'll see how everything plays out there. But, you know, for a while I'm thinking, boy, I know they just re signed Kyler for multiple, multiple years, but you know, a new regime with no ties to the previous guy, and there's been some questions about the previous guy in in Kyler Murray, you know, could he be one that they draft a quarterback there at three, or they have interest to move up there? Uh, but yeah, I fully expect one uh, one and two, both of those picks to go there, and I'll have no issue in the Colts trading up because too many times I think you see teams wait. You know, there's that story about the 2017 draft where New Orleans felt like they were playing things really close to the vest, and they were waiting for Patrick Mahomes and not going to trade up, and you had Mahomes' agent kind of leaked to, because Patrick Mahomes wanted to go to Kansas City, Leaked to Kansas City, hey, if you want Patrick, you're probably going to have to trade up above New Orleans. And that's exactly what they did, and they got Mahomes. And you look at where Josh Allen is drafted, Buffalo trading up twice, Lamar Jackson on Buffalo, I mean, or uh, Baltimore. I mean, you've got to go get the guy. When it's that position, you can't just say, at pick, you know, whatever, and I know the Colts are four, but let's say they were 15. At pick nine, you can't sit there as the board starts to fall and say, man, if he falls to 15, we're definitely taking him. Like, at quarterback, given the trajectory of your franchise, you've got to make sure you come away with your guy.
0: So you think Ballard and company will be listening to the draft board this year? Or is that nonsense going to be <laughs> debunked, as we always hear year after year? you got to listen to the board. Okay.
2: Yeah, I, yeah. I always thought the 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 comment in general is just a bit outlandish. Like, <laughs> if you have two all-pro running backs and the board says the running back is the best option, you're not going to draft a running back. Like to me, it's you're picking the best available at the position of need, and that's how you operate. And of course, the culture in a situation now where you you they've backed themselves into a quarterback or nothing sort of draft like you, you, you just have to go that route uh, it doesn't appear like there is you know three or four generational other positions like uh, a wide out a dn a tackle etc so i don't think like you're all of a sudden be missing out on you know some great great player if you force the quarterback draft pick but again given the path that you've operated with with all the retreads uh, the fact that you know, Chris Boward is about to go into year seven as general manager and has zero answer on his roster. Like, there's not even the old token third-round draft pick that you have at, at quarterback. I mean, like, Sam Ellinger doesn't count as a six-round pick. Um, you don't even have that young guy. It's like, oh, yeah, he's been in our system for a couple of years. We'd like to see him get some reps. You don't have that as a third- or fourth-round pick. Jacob Eason's long gone. So, um, again, the fact that this is how you've maneuvered yourself as a franchise Undoubtedly, quarterback has got to be the the first pick, and, yeah, we should revolt if it's not. All
0: right, Cap. before I let you go, I do want to say that the all-time leading rebounder at Ben Davis is Zane Doughty. I think I butchered his last name, which is par for the course in which I play.
2: Doughty. Okay, we were, uh, we were unsure of that uh, this morning. I know Jake mentioned... Um, Mentioned that. And do he, he, I have this right? Is he Valpo-bound?
0: He's going to Valpo, yeah. He's going to Valpo. And we'll help them He's out because out they're there, horrible. It, they're horrible right now uh, in the is, MVC. Is still
2: that guy from, st- the, that assistant that came from Stanford?
0: Wasn't there a guy from Yeah, Lodich, Matt right? Loditch or Lodich yeah. or whatever his name yeah. is, I believe. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Hey, we be got to get my Sycamores you, back on track, too, because they've been say, stink, stank, and stunking here recently.
2: And – you know, we don't need to waste any time on this, but Notre Dame's got to fire Mike Bray. Hell's a run. Uh, they need some juice. They need some energy in the program. Unbelievable job he did there for two decades, but it's pathetic watching them play basketball. So Notre Dame needs some new life. Chris Quinn, that's who I want. Miami Heat now, former Notre Dame. Do you think you would take that? Chris Thomas. Uh, probably not. I, I, I doubt it, yeah. Destined for an NBA gig, but... <laughs> I'm a- I'm
0: going to dream about that, at least. Yeah, yeah. The Sycamore's got to get back on track. And, man, I'll tell you what, when when Butler loses, uh, they flat lose. You know what I mean? (laughs) They leave no doubt on the loss. Six Big East losses,
2: all by at least 15 points, and what? We're barely through the midway point of January? Yeah. When they lose, it's uh, it's empty the bench with five minutes to go in the game.
0: Leave no doubt. Tomorrow morning, 7 until 10 a.m., it is Kevin and Query, and uh, you can hear him. And Kevin Bowen is with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Shout out and love to the fam, man. And uh, we'll listen tomorrow morning, 7 until 10.
2: I appreciate that. If you don't mind, I'll throw in a shameless plug. We have Bruce Weber on at 7.30 tomorrow. I think, obviously, the ties to Purdue and the Big Ten speak for themselves. But he also coached Tyrese Halliburton, the U19 team, uh, and was a big believer in Halliburton early on. That was a loaded team with Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Green. So looking forward to that conversation to kind of get a little insight into. I think one of the early believers in Halliburton.
0: Bruce, Bruce is a good dude. Well done. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yep, you got it. Thank you. Kevin Bowen right there on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
0: Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, setting the pace. Is I think the podcast and more with our friend Alex Golden, who covers the Pacers. So what is uh, what's his name? He's what is is on Pacers Digest, right? The guy that I get into it with every Pacer game. What's his name?
1: Do you know him? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know who it is. I just they, they they're big Demarcus Sabonis fans, and they've always uh, well. You know what? So am I. Sabonis.
0: So who's not a Sabonis? Yeah. I'm a Sabonis fan too.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, big Sabonis fans, but they hate Turner and, like, hate Turner with a passion. So anything Turner does, it doesn't matter. It's just like, you know, there's there's a hater, and then they're just, like, ridiculous, and that's where they're at. (laughs) Are you on Pacer Digest? Does that still exist? No. I'm I'm not sure. You know, I know some people over there. uh, the, The person I know from there is Matthew Peck. Uh, I think Matthew Peck.
0: And that's his real name, yeah. Matthew Peck. See, I do have some admiration yeah. for somebody that uses their real name.
1: Yeah, now they're on Twitter at L underscore Peckbo. <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't. He came on our podcast once for a fan of the week segment, so that's how I know him. But uh, other than that, I, I, I've only met him, and I think it was his son that I met. So that's I, all I know from Pacers Digest. But.
0: Honestly, I did. Alex, not know that message boards still did exist. I thought with social media the way that it is right now, what's the use of a message board?
1: I guess it's just nostalgia for him. I don't know. I mean, I've I've never been on it, and I'm not saying anything bad again. I just I've never used it, so I just use Twitter. I mean, that's kind of what I what I've what I've known my whole time. Well, here, so
0: I, I honestly, I I enjoy it. I enjoy Pacer yeah. game nights because I know what's – regardless, I know what's coming. And uh, it does. People ask me all the time, why do you respond to it? But, yeah, because I'm having a good time. <laughs> why wouldn't I? Yeah. So yeah, – I'll yeah. tell
1: you this. I've got uh, I've got about three people that uh, follow me. They've cropped some random face of – I don't know who it is – on my body, on a picture of me. Sweet. And they comment on my, everything that I do, and I just never respond. I just – I just figured I'm not gonna give, give him the time of day, so I just I just find it funny. I just mute them and don't really see, see it. But, you can't come uh, on this
0: show and I, a, you can't come on this show and and be a bigger man. You have to be a much smaller human to be on this program here. <laughs> All right, so oh, man,
1: I, I just I just don't have time to argue with people. Or see what's it. that say about
0: me? <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> I've got a lot of time to argue with people.
1: I guess <laughs> <laughs> you probably do. You probably got more time on your hand than I do. <laughs> you do. Like
0: Why, I do. I think it's part of it's my sleep pattern. <laughs> it's for one because I sleep about a couple hours a night, so I find myself up. So that's it's pretty funny. So now nah, it's um, yeah. it happens every single Pacer game. I mean, even in a thirty and eight performance by Miles and his return, you know, it was all about the games that he missed, or this is why you got to trade him, and and I always find that uh, that kind of funny. I, I I view myself as this because I have been critical of thirty three before. And probably will be at some point again. So I try to keep it as, as balanced as possible. But I, I didn't know that those those were some of the folks that were big time Sabonis fans because I mean I obviously go back with my son watching every Gonzaga game, you know, going back ten plus years. So I was I was big into Sabonis too, but the problem is I mean you you worked off a great deal for him. And you got in return the guy that's going to be your guy for the long-term future. I don't know why you wouldn't be happy about that. That's a you know that's a hell of a reason to continue to like Sabonis.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that there was just such a divide between the Turner and Sabonis fans that, you know, it's like Sabonis got traded, so now Turner fans feel like they won the argument. I really don't think... Uh, we should look at it that way (laughs) you know like Turner unfortunately was not going to get the same return Sabonis got you and a Halliburton I think that's just one way to look at it and I think you know at that point Turner's value was much lower but I think now if he had a couple more years on his contract I mean I think Turner would have a lot more value across the league in terms of you know trade value just because of how important he's been and how awesome he's been this season so I think it's honestly been like such a great win win trade for everybody, and people just need to quit worrying about who was right and who was wrong. I think we all got it right in this one. It's just good to see good players getting the opportunity to showcase what they can do and and doing it at a high level
0: setting the pace at the podcast and uh, a good friend alex golden on the andy moore automotive group pipeline that covers the pacers i thought that that atlanta game on friday night was huge because that was an incredibly winnable one and man you need to absolutely win these winnable ones and and that Halliburton injury, anytime is going to be bad if it was going to be an extended period. I mean, we know that. We knew that going in. But especially now, considering this schedule and how difficult it is and going on the road. And, you know, tonight in Oklahoma City, we'll talk about that in a second. You get Denver. You got Phoenix. And even when you get by, you got to go to Memphis still once again. We saw how that worked out um, on Saturday. So it just seems like this might be one of the worst times ever to see Halliburton not be able to play because of injury?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a timely injury that really hurt because this Pacers team, they were kind of defying the odds and they were winning a lot of close games. And, and I think T.J. McConnell said it after the game against the Bucs, like, you know, we miss our closer. And there's a good chance they're 2-1. and one. They win that Bucks game probably, and they'll probably win that game against the Hawks if Tyrese is out there. So you can just definitely feel that impact of him not being out there on the court and all I really care about long term is that he's healthy. I think it's smart to play it safe and not bring him back out anytime soon. And I think it's actually kind of a good test to see what this team can do without him. Unfortunately, like you said, the schedule is super, super brutal. So, uh, you know, it's it's not an easy one for anybody to, to overcome. But I think it's just a good challenge for these guys to kind of step up and show us what they got because heading into the trade deadline here in February, like, it, it's not too far away. And, I think this gives the Pacers front office a little bit more to think about in terms of what direction they should go.
0: I think the rookie wall is real. A lot of people use it as a cliche and go, "Ah, oh, that's just you know bullcrap talk or whatever." I, I happen to think that is is real, and we're definitely seeing Andrew Nembhard. I think hit that right now is a little bit of Matherin too, uh, consistency wise, uh, kind of making contact with that perceived in this case rookie wall.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely think Nimhard shooting-wise specifically, has really, you know, hit a wall here, and I've been playing super great, and everybody expected just, you know, no drop-off of Tyrese out, uh, I mean, maybe a little bit of one, but everybody saw what Nimhard did against the Warriors, and they're just, that's forever ingrained in their mind, and they're thinking, this is going to be fine, well, no, I mean, Tyrese is a totally different player than Nimhard and nimhard has got a lot of talent, but no, he's he's just on that level, not not anywhere close yet. And I, and I think Nimhart is unfortunately hitting a rookie wall. I think Matherin actually, since 2023, since the new year, he's actually been playing a lot better than he had been. I think the month of December was a really bad one for Matherin, especially shooting wise. I think he was like the 20% from three percentage, uh, three point percentage uh, that month. So definitely, you know, still not shooting the ball great as Matherin, but he's still being effective. Like 26 against the Hawks was huge and you know he kind of kept them afloat in that game i I feel like both guys you know the rookie wall to me is real uh you're right there are a lot of people that believe it's just a cliche thing we had david thorpe on and he was like oh i don't buy into the rookie wall you know it's just these guys are young and i'm like well you know they go from playing 35 40 games in a college season to 82 uh in an nba season and they're playing three or four nights in a row i mean it's just the wear and tear is going to drag on you and you're playing a lot better competition and teams that are going to start figuring out your tendencies and what you like to do. So I, I just think they're both really good players. Uh, Mather and I think he's still finding ways to be more impactful, but, you know, at least Nimhard defensively has, has still been pretty solid there just offensively. He is, he's struggling a little bit, but, you know, hopefully he can break out of that. It was good to see him knock down a couple of threes against the, uh, against the Bucks on Monday, but that game against the the Hawks was bad. I think two of sixteen. That was just
0: rough. The advanced scout will definitely catch up with you this time of year, and especially with rookies. And it looks like Nimhart. I know he's kind of thrust into a, a position now that uh, they were getting a high level play. Certainly out of it, seems like his um, his shot selection has been a little bit off, along with his shot more than occasionally here recently, and that's why I thought maybe uh, he was kind of hitting that January wall.
1: Yeah, and he's probably just pressing, trying, sure. uh, trying to get something going. I mean, all young guys are, are prone to do it. I think even, you know, veterans are prone to do it. If they're not hitting their shots, you know, the, the old ad, adages, you know, sh- shooters keep shooting, right? So, um, personally, I, I think Nimhart's shot, it's been surprisingly good. I thought it was a little bit slow, uh, his his release and his form for, you know, the NBA, but it's, he's getting it off, and He's hit it at a pretty high clip, I think around 35%, 36%, which is league average from three. So that's good. But, yeah, I mean, I I would love to see him just break through and have a nice game. It was good to see Chris Duarte finally break out of his slump, too, over the weekend.
0: Alice Golden talking Pacers with us. So do we rethink things? We've been kind of flip-flopping a little bit. We started out the season thinking, all right, this is how this team is going to be. And then I think uh, slowly but surely with the success it did show, changed that opinion. And now they're in the midst of a losing skid right now, and Tyrese Halliburton's not going to be back in at least the short-term future. And uh, there is you know, a factor where this losing skid probably does continue. Does that allow you to rethink what may or may not be done coming up here prior to this trade deadline?
1: Yeah, I mean, I still think they're probably going to be sellers more than buyers of the deadline. I don't think they ever were going to be serious buyers, Um, There's been a lot of rumblings about them looking to upgrade at power four, which I definitely think they need to do that. But I'm not sure if this is the right time, this is the right trade deadline to do that because it is a seller's market, not a buyer's market. And I think whatever you end up trading for, you're going to have to pay a lot. So I think the Pacers should be smart and be patient and wait to make that drastic of a move in the off season just to kind of see what their roster looks like, you know. Uh, we talked about Miles a lot the last time I was on here, and, and what his future could be. And I and I was pretty adamant that I think it's going to be here, and I and I would be surprised if he was moved. But with the way things are going now, it, it would surprise me less if they decided to move off of him, especially if he doesn't whatever he signed. I mean, I think you have to trade him no matter what if he doesn't sign before uh, you know the, the the trade deadline, just because you don't want to risk losing him for nothing. But that's kind of always been the same thing, but. Yeah, I, I just feel like at the beginning of the year, I was just kind of like, okay, what's this team going to be like? Be like, Miles comes back. I was expecting them to, you know, be about a 500 team, maybe a little bit below, and they just started winning games and winning games, and I'm like, okay. So I kind of started, you know, buying into what they were doing, and then now with Halbert with and Dawn, it's only been a three-game sample size and they've played some tough competition, so don't want to write them off too quick yet, but um you can kind of just see like this team, it might not be the worst thing, J M V for this team to get back into the draft lottery and get some more help with this, uh with this roster because it's talented but it's just not there yet in terms of, you know, being a playoff contender. So I just don't want them to lose sight of what the goal was all along just because they've had a fun little run here in the middle of the season. And it would make more sense, I think, team building wise, for this team to position themselves to get a better draft pick, but I understand why it's hard to sell the team, um, You know, especially Tyrese and those guys like, hey, we're going to make some tough trades here and, and make our team worse and, and then be okay with it. So I understand why they're in a tough boat. That'd be the front office, but I just think bigger picture here, it probably is best for the team moving forward to get another top you know, five to eight draft pick and, and, and just continue to build this roster with young pieces because that was the plan all along and i think they shouldn't lose sight of that just because they've had some good moments here in this regular
0: season so let me get this straight so you think that you know with miles and obviously there is a uh, is he going to get extended that is a piece of this the biggest piece of the puzzle what what a guy about a guy like buddy healed
1: Yeah, that's tough, too. I mean, you know, I've been talking to some people, you know, that uh, are big fans of the team, and, you know, a lot of them understand the the sentiment to to keeping Buddy around because of his connection with Tyrese. And I think that's really where it starts and ends is just, what does Tyrese think of this? If if you're going to really upset Tyrese by trading Buddy, I don't think it's worth it. Um, I think Buddy is a very important piece of the starting five. But, you know, moving forward, I I don't know if he's – someone that you're really banking on I think that Rick Carlisle likes him and I think if there's a good deal out there for him you should listen to it but I, I wouldn't trade him right away I think it would make more sense to maybe look at his value see what you can get maybe in the off season, and kind of make that change there because everybody knows Matherin eventually is going to start he's starting right now in the in Tyrese's absence so Long long term, though, you want Tyrese and, and Madeline together, and depending on what you give it this year's draft pick and who it is, does that remove Buddy from that starting lineup? I think it makes more sense to maybe move him in the off season instead of moving him at the deadline. But at the same time, I think it really just comes down to it. If Tyrese signs off on it, make the trade. But if he's pretty adamant, I want Buddy here, then I wouldn't move him. Uh, I would keep him right here with the team because I think he's just been – that important to what they're trying to do offensively and uh, is, is a good leader as well. So, I mean, you don't want to lose that locker room.
0: So. Hey, Alex, everybody talks about, too, the value you would get and they need this value or whatever. I, I also look at the fact that, that his value to me with this group right now is you see the cohesion among them. And especially as you mentioned that relationship with Tyrese Halliburton, But, man, the NBA and really any level of basketball, so much about shot-making ability, especially shot-making ability from distance. And that, to me, is of the highest value than any deal that I have seen suggested out there that might bring back what a lot of people love in that that trade value or those trade assets. I think his value as a catch-and-shoot guy, as that threat, for this team moving forward is more valuable than to me what you're going to get longer term trade wise. What say you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I agree with that. I mean, I've been pretty adamant. Don't trade, buddy. I think he fits this team too well. I mean, if you're trying to go full rebuild and that kind of thing, I understood it. And I thought at the beginning of the year, it made more sense to move off of him and miles. if That's what they were really trying to do and let these young guys get the experience. Like, uh, you know, like we're seeing with Detroit now and that kind of thing. You know, just young guys getting experience and it's not resulting in very many wins. But the uh, the experience is good. I think I think having the mix of veterans has probably been better for this team than people realize in terms of development for guys like Duarte and Matherin. Because I've seen Buddy Hill, you know, kind of get onto him, uh, you know, in, in, in timeouts and stuff like that. He got onto uh, Duarte. I think it was against Memphis, and Duarte was hot. But I uh, I like that Buddy Hield's not afraid to you know call his guys out hold them accountable. He's a 30 year old uh, NBA veteran that should be doing that kind of stuff with this young team. So personally, in the ideal world, JMV, I think uh, if he could if he could buy into next season being like the Pacers' sixth man, that would be the that'd be the dream for me. I just think him coming off the bench, uh, just a guy that knows how to score. Uh, would be huge. You, you let Matherin get that chemistry developing with uh, with Tyrese Halliburton in that certain lineup, and that's what your future is moving forward. I think the ceiling, obviously, is much higher for Matherin than the will But like you said, shot-making is something you cannot uh, just give away. And I think a lot of teams would actually be interested in him, but I think a lot of teams would try to get him for you know lesser value than what you're really probably wanting to give back to this team. So uh, I say hold on to to a buddy until you get into the summer, but I understand why some people might be on there. You got to trade them so matter and get that, that that starting position earlier and start getting that chemistry with Halliburton this season, but I, I'm not too worried about writing it out for the rest of this year.
3: Alice Gold. Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you
0: setting the pace on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So, you think what Miles might want is certainly more than what the Pacers were going to fork over to DeAndre Ayton on that offer sheet this summer?
1: Man, that's tough. Uh, I I don't know if he wants that much. I'm sure he does. I mean, who wouldn't want that much, right? But I just don't think realistically the Pacers should give him that much. And I know some people will say he's had a better season than DeAndre Ayton, and that might be the case. But at the same time, you're not trying to pry him away from another team and it should be agency. And that could be a lot of the reason why they felt like that's why they could do that. And how much you know money they had in cap space. So, you know, I think miles has been really, really good this year. Game. I mean, you can arguably say that he might uh, he's at times he's been the best player on this team. I think Allen Burton is still far and above the best player on the team uh, talent wise, but I mean, Turner's been great this year. So, I think he's worthy of a, of a significant pay raise, but I just don't like the idea of giving him close to $31, 32000000 a year, maxing out Halliburton next year probably, and then you're kind of stuck with what you got. I think that if you can find a reasonable deal with Miles and somewhere between the $25, 27000000 per year range, that would be where I would probably stop at. I think that's just a lot of money to pay at center. And you know, is in a contract year too. So, is this sustainable for the next four to five years? That's one thing we, uh, you know, would hope happens. But it's still like you're you're gambling and you're projecting a lot. So, um, you know, I just think in the thirty million dollar range for miles, I just think the Pacers have to say no on that one and, and just keep it in that twenty-five to twenty-seven million range. All
0: right, you mentioned that contract year compared to just a new landscape of teammates and especially that of Tyrese Halliburton. What What is more responsible for this new and improved and the highest level of play we've seen from Miles this season?
1: I mean, I think I would say probably more Halliburton and the style of play for sure. I mean, I think that obviously contract year more motivation to, to show your worth and get paid. And he's not just auditioning for the Pacers. He's auditioning for the other 29 teams in the NBA especially if they're looking to upgrade at center, maybe. So, I mean, obviously not all 29 teams are going to be looking for a center upgrade, but uh, you, you get what I'm saying there with, you know, a lot of teams looking to maybe upgrade. So I just think that Miles has a chip on his shoulder. I'm curious to see how he plays against DeAndre and Phoenix this weekend. I think it's going to be a must-see TV game because I, I really just want to see him go toe-to-toe with him and kind of prove, like, you guys really wanted this guy over me. Like, you guys were made, made the wrong decision in trying to go after him and, I'm going to make you guys eat your uh, <laughs> eat your words a little bit for doing that, but no, I, I think that uh, I think a lot of it has to do with just the style of play. Tyrese, you know, puts him in such a great position all the time, um, but you can't, you can't say it's Tyrese that's getting him 40% beyond the arc. I mean, that's miles himself, just putting in the work and, and really buying into the system. And so, yeah, I just think miles seems more laser focused this year than ever before. And I think, one thing, too, he's not been nearly as active on social media as he used to be, and I think that's, you know, been uh, – that's bode well for him in terms of his development. Uh, you can you can just kind of tell Miles has matured as a player, and he's really kind of taken on a leadership role this year from, uh, from an on court standpoint. I don't want really to know much about off-court stuff, but you can tell that, you know, the guys really respect him, and he's been lights out this year.
0: All right, Alex, tonight they're in Oklahoma City against the Thunder. That uh, tip time is at, uh Eight o'clock tonight. Seven thirty is the pregame show. And the Thunder, the Thunder in the month of January have a one hundred and fifty point game. Um, one thirty three, one twenty seven, one twenty six, one twenty four. High volume scoring team, to say the least. Won three consecutive. One of those, actually two of those. When you look at it, uh, all three on the road, but certainly two in Philly and in Brooklyn. This is a team that. Not a lot of people know too much about, but man, offensively, they can get the job done.
1: Yes. Yeah, Shea Gilgis Alexander has been fantastic this year. He's averaging over 30 points a game and he's really carrying this team. Josh Giddy, his, his sophomore season has been uh, a bright spot. He's been playing well uh, of late recently. And they just, they're just a team that surprisingly is in the, is in the hunt for the playing tournament. So a lot of people expected them to be more of a team that would be tanking, but right now they're currently 10th in the, in the Western conference with a 21 and 23 record. So, you know, they're playing pretty good basketball right now. And I think it all is spearheaded from their point guard and probably all star, uh, Shea Gilgis, Alexander. And I think this team just continues to impress me whenever I've watched them. They're just, a uh, they're just so talented offensively, and you know they're uh, they're continuing to show why they've got some really nice young players. The Jalen Williams are starting together now, um, you know, and they don't even have Chet Holmgren this year, so it's uh, it's going to be a tough matchup for the Pacers. I think that uh, OKC is a tough environment to play in, so we'll see how they do. But uh, playing fast is probably beneficial for the Pacers because we know they're a faster-paced team, and they just got to make sure they keep their turnovers down because without Halliburton, they've Been struggling a little bit with their turnovers, and I think they're around like 26 in the league with uh, turnovers, and and that's not good. So um, I just think OKC has got a a good chance here to make this a game. And uh, like you said, they've been playing hot, so it's going to be a tough one.
0: And uh, as you mentioned, too, OKC tonight at Denver and then at Phoenix coming up on uh, Saturday. And uh, we'll be watching that Turner-Aiton matchup for sure. What do you got coming up on setting the pace?
1: Yeah, so tomorrow we'll have an episode out with uh, Michael Scotto of Hoopside. He's a uh, NBA reporter, so uh, he does a lot of does a really good job getting uh, the ins and outs there. And he was actually in New York for Pacers Knicks last week, and so uh, he got to be my co-host at the game, and so that was really cool. Uh, he's been a who's your co-host you know, Mike Fauci. He lives in New York. Have I talked to him before? I, I don't think so. He's not huh. been able to come on when we've been able to do him. He can't. He can't stay up past like nine o'clock. He's an old man. So, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, he, he can't do the late night ones. Like if we ever do a post game show, it's uh, it's like pulling teeth. He's a uh, he, he's an early uh, he's an he's an early bird. So, uh, but yeah, he's he's from New York. Grew up uh, grew up a Pacer fan. though hating the Knicks, which is a, it's a really cool story. I have to get you guys talking about that because just how he became a Pacer fan is pretty funny. But. Uh, yeah, so they met in New York at the game and, and Scott. I mean, he's just he's he does a really good job of getting the ins and outs and the reports and I think uh, uh, he's always been a fan favorite as well just really knows his stuff and uh, not just reports, but pretty good on the X's and O's, too. All
0: right. Well, uh, well, setting the pace, certainly check that out. And you can admire my Twitter account later on tonight for that game in Oklahoma City and really, I mean, really soak that up coming up on Saturday. My Twitter account's going to be pure fire on Saturday night. Be ready for that. Well,
1: I'm I'm a little bit worried about Saturday's game only because it's the second night of a back-to-back after playing in Denver at yeah. that altitude. I just It just feels like a scheduled loss. But, you know, I mean, you never know with the Pacers. They might go into Denver and surprise everybody because that's how this team is been. When they're supposed to lose games, nobody expects it. So, I mean, the Denver, man, they're playing lights out. And I just – that game's making me a little bit nervous thinking about
0: it. It's back-to-back. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough way to go, back-to-back for sure, yeah. Denver and, and Phoenix on Friday and Saturday. Alex, yeah. I appreciate you. Enjoy the game tonight. Yeah, you all right, JMV, thank you. Alex Golden setting the pace on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Yeah, you can join in at JMV 1070 later on tonight with uh, all my rowdy friends.